Welcome back to the Bikini Academy podcast. Today's episode will be a Q&A from our TBA community. We received a bunch of questions and Nicole and I are so excited to dive straight in. So without further ado, our first question, is doing 30 to 40 minutes of cardio and prep normal and not too much at 12 weeks out? Worried I'm being pushed too hard, which I think is completely valid. And I think this largely depends on context of your situation. So every coach obviously has a different approach and your coach may potentially be getting you ready ahead of schedule so that they could implement diet breaks throughout or reverse diet you into your show potentially. I honestly think if you have concerns with an approach that your coach is having, or any exercise prescription or nutrition protocols, then you need to address this with your coach if you have concerns, because that way they can justify why they have prescribed a certain approach. And if they are unable to provide a valid reason for why they have prescribed something, then obviously that is a cause for concern. But I think, yeah, it's really important to have that open and honest communication with your coach if you are having any worries or doubts. And if they are able to justify that, then I mean, that just shows that your coach is experienced and knows exactly what they're doing. But if you're having that doubt, you definitely need to bring that to your coach's attention. What are your thoughts, Nicole? I agree. I think communication is important both ways. Um, And you're not always going to understand or maybe agree with something that you're prescribed. And it's okay to ask questions. Um, I also have to question as well what's happening inside the prep and whether there's a logical reason for that to be you know prescribed obviously we don't have context as to what the competitor is doing for federation what their starting point was like Mm -hmm. what their diet is like as well so their nutrition might be very high perhaps Mm -hmm. um, but obviously maybe prescription for a cardio and step goal is more in relation for their deficit so maybe that is just a preference by the coach perhaps. So Mm. that could be a reason. So we obviously don't know what's happening there. And I think even from my perspective, when it comes to like cardio prescription, um, I'm definitely not someone to prescribe cardio unless it's like a last result. Like we've kind of used every other option that we could possibly do. And we're kind of holding at a pretty considerable deficit through nutritional needs, maybe bringing up steps to the point where it's no longer kind of feasible to add any more because it's taking up too much time. And, you know, cardio could be implemented earlier if it means that you can still keep more food and, you know, your day is not spent on a treadmill for hours and hours on end because, Um, It might actually be necessary from a time standpoint too. So that could be a logical reason. So that could be something that the coach is prescribing earlier on to help you with time management. Um, And I guess it depends on what type of cardio that is as well, because, you know, if you're doing 30 to 40 minutes of hit or uh, moderate steady state, that's pretty hefty. Um, But if you're doing like low steady state um, or, you know, if it's just walking on a light incline or a really low. Yeah, are we talking less or are we talking Yeah, what what, what are we doing here? So I think that's really context dependent as well. Um, But I definitely don't think that um, it's a a yes or a no. Like there's Mm -hmm. there's definitely a reason for it. Um, And I think there could be plausible reason to have it earlier based on some of the things that I mentioned just before. Um, But then also there might be a reason why it's implemented, but maybe it's not a logical reason. And maybe there needs to be a bit more of a conversation between coach and client to figure out what might be a better method if you're 
finding that that is very daunting, you're not managing it very well, maybe you're more tired or more fatigued afterwards, and it's having an impact on training performance. So mm-hmm. I think that there's some some questions to be had yeah, there. Yeah, we've got a lot of questions <laughs> that we need answers to. And I think also rereading this question, it says 30 to 40 minutes of cardio in prep. How often are you doing this? Because you didn't yes. specify whether this is four times per week, five times per week, once per week, every single day. I think that definitely would play a role as well. So I definitely think we need a bit more context for this question. So if you do want to reach out with um, more information to give us a bit more clarity, that would be really helpful just so we can give you more comprehensive feedback. Who knows? um, Let's say, for example, you have a time for your um, daily need. It might be, you know, 30 to 40 minutes of walking every day instead of having a step goal because not everyone tracks steps as well. So that could be a factor that we're we're not aware of with that question. But I do think that there is reason for that. Uh, And we're hoping. (laughs) We're we're hoping. And I do think that that's not uncommon for uh, competitors to have cardio. It also depends on, you know, is your momentum kind of starting to drop and are you needing to catch up a little bit? Are you behind your timeline? So there could be plausible reason for that being implemented to make sure that you get ready on time. Yeah, of course. And like you said, there also might be time constraints. Like there gets to a point where you can only do so many steps in a day. Most of us work full time. We have a lot of other responsibilities. And if you have a sedentary job, it can be extremely difficult to make sure that you're able to fit in your training sessions on top of you know 15,000 steps and up so maybe they've implemented cardio just due to time restraints so that you are able to increase your level of activity without taking up as much time so yeah I definitely think it depends and you know everyone is going to have a different experience about their prep I've had clients who have gone their entire prep without needing to do cardio at all and mm-hmm. then I've had clients who have required a bit more cardio so it really just depends on the individual so try not to compare your journey as well to anyone else's because it's completely different but yeah as we've both said I think you really just need to address this with your coach and just have that open style of communication because if you're just reaching out to other coaches to find out their advice without actually bringing it to the attention of your own coach um, I think that shows that you don't really have that sense of trust in your coach or that ability to communicate which I think is really important in a coaching client relationship I do have one other thing that might be a consideration it might be something that this individual hasn't thought of but at this point in time is you know slowing down becoming more evident so the time Mm. in which you're taking to maybe walk it's becoming slower and your um, your pace and your gait is longer or um, so, you know, you're not really getting as much out of maybe what you would when you would be doing a step goal. So mm-hmm. are they maybe introducing a bit of cardio as a means of keeping a steady pace to ensure that you're at least moving adequately? Because we all know what happens when you start to get, you know, the back end of prep absolutely everything slows down. We're more likely Mm. to, you know, sit rather or lean. Um, You know, you're definitely not moving at the same uh, capacity as what you were doing several weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, your body's trying to preserve as much energy as possible and it's probably something that you don't realise. But in hindsight, you recognise I was kind of a zombie towards the end. You know, I'm not as expressive or I'm not using as many gestures and these are all forms of neat. You're kind of just feeling a bit like a robot. So that might be a means of just increasing your level of activity so that's something to be mindful as well but yeah I think end of the day having that open and honest discussion with your coach so that you can 
get a bit of clarity as to why they've prescribed cardio would be really helpful. And obviously, depending on their answer is whether or not you have a cause for concern, because you want to make sure that that is actually justified. So that brings us to our next question. So is it normal for my coach to put my fats lower than normal? So 22 grams at 53 kilos in body weight to prioritize carbs around training at 12 weeks out. Another 12 weeks out question. What are your thoughts? I'm not sure. <laughs> it must be everyone in prep. <laughs> but yeah, what are your thoughts on that, Nicole? Um, well, personally, um, I think that this one has not enough for us to really dig too deep in. So I want to talk a little bit more about maybe some considerations here because, um, you know, in prep, if you are required to get very low levels of body fat, you sometimes do have to go to extremes and mm. there may be other variables and factors that are affecting whether you align with a protocol that, you know, you set out for and or whether you have to push past barriers. And there are definitely instances where you sometimes have to go, you know, beyond what you thought. Um, and it's about having obviously consent and obviously trying to do things as best as you possibly can. So I think obviously with the timestamp here, 12 weeks out is pretty far out from comp. So that is mm. probably a bit alarming um, to kind of hold that level of fats at that point in time. However, we don't have context as to what's sort of happening with the rest of that person's nutrition to know, mm. you know, what kind of uh, carbohydrate intake are they prioritizing? What's their, uh, their protein intake to? Because um, obviously those have playing pieces. And if you're low on, you know, carbs as well, even though you are prioritizing carbs around training, um, you're probably still in a very small uh, nutritional intake and a very large deficit. So that's, you know, something to be considered. However, if your carbohydrates are, you know, quite high and I I say high as in like maybe anywhere from five to seven grams per kilo of body weight you know that's going to be quite considerable and you're going to have an adequate intake there but um you know that ratio of obviously fats is a lot lower so you know that's looking at about 0.4 grams per kilo of that person's body weight so it's very very low definitely on the lower side so I again would be addressing that with my coach as to why my fat intake was that low but I think yeah like you said we definitely do need more context in terms of how many calories are you actually consuming overall what is your macro split so that we can have a little bit more information obviously as females as well we definitely want to prioritize fats just in terms of hormonal health and making sure that we are um, being mindful of that so I think that's definitely a consideration that needs to be made so it's good that that is a source of concern for you and that if it doesn't sit right that that is something that you definitely need to bring up with your coach but yeah it is hard to say because we definitely do need a bit more context but from my perspective as a coach I generally don't go below 0.7 grams of fat per kilo and that's just that's just a, the approach that I take with my clients but yeah I would definitely be addressing this with your coach because that definitely is on the lower side particularly being 12 weeks out because that's still three months away from competition obviously in drastic circumstances and for short time frame periods maybe that may be the case and just making sure that both you know coach and client are aware that this is only for a very specific amount of time and that it obviously is not a healthy protocol to take but if this is something that's consistently been happening for you know months at a time then I think that that is definitely a cause for concern yeah and I think we also have to talk about the fact that 
fuel utilization for the type of training that we're doing and particularly in prep like you're not training to the same level as what you are when you're high energy availability and you know your aim is to build mass like got ample energy stores um and obviously that comes from both the fact that you have fat mass so energy and then you obviously are eating in a surplus or a maintenance so we've got lots of energy happening so training performance is high but training performance is obviously not like when you're in a deficit or an extended dieting phase so the amount of carbs that you really need to have a a successful training session and fuel you know maybe 60 to 90 minutes of training that is lower intensity to what you do when you are away from a deficit is not as much as maybe what you may think so I think it's important to look at that person in in this perspective. Now, how many carbohydrates are you prioritizing around your training? So Mm -hmm. if you're prioritizing maybe, you know, having a very large carbohydrate meal, you know, pre, intra and after, and it's, you know, averaging out and you're having majority of your carbohydrates there um, and it's very high, then is that necessary or are you consuming excess where you could be having that in other areas throughout the course of the day? Um, so fuel utilization for carbs is sometimes not as high as what competitors often think. And that's something that I find when I'm working with a client is maybe like, yep, I'm having a pre-training meal. Um, and we're looking at the sources and the type of carbohydrates that they're having. And they're probably having things that are not going to be as best utilized for that training session because they're not broken down efficiently enough so that you can actually use it. So they might be low glycemic index, high fiber, a lot of fat. Um, so that might be really difficult to to process in the time in which you need it and you're kind of not using it effectively. It's just kind of sitting in your tummy. Um, yeah. So, you know, and someone might be eating, you know, 50 to 60 grams of carbs before training. And as a female training 60 to 90 minutes with weighted resistance training, you're not really expending as much energy as maybe you would if you were doing a different style of exercise. So your carbohydrate needs are obviously quite different. Um, so it's being aware of if your carbs are also efficient for the type of training that you're doing. And then you've obviously got adequate for recovery afterwards. But mm. um, so I think there's also questions there around how that person is distributing their carbohydrate and what quantities there are there as well. Yeah, I think carb distribution is really important and you want to make sure that you are distributing that evenly throughout the day, but also prioritizing it around your training. But it definitely comes a point in your prep where, you know, carbs are limited. So you really need to make use of that around your training as best you can. But unfortunately, that's going to mean that some sessions aren't going to be adequately fueled because you literally just do not have the calories required. And that's just the reality of the sport, the reality of doing an extreme sport where you're getting to an unsustainable level of body fat. So, um, but yeah, I think my final answer to this question would really just be if you have any concerns about your macronutrient targets or your dietary plan, you really just need to communicate openly with your coach and express that concern so that they can provide their rationale as to why they've prescribed it in the first place. So that brings us to our next question. So how do you guys implement cardio in off-season, pre-prep, prep, and throughout the whole prep? So I think, once again, this is extremely individualized. I've had some clients that require a fair bit of cardio, like I've said, and others that have gone their entire prep without it, which in the ideal world, I think that's something that we would all <laughs> want, but that's just not 
reality. So I always advise my clients to have a step goal regardless of which phase they're in, whether that be in their off season, in their pre-prep phase or in their prep phase. And this ranges depending on, you know, what journey of their, um, what part of their journey that they're in. So for example, in off season, we keep their energy expenditure really low. Um, Obviously that's context dependent as well. If someone has an extremely active job, it can be difficult to decrease energy expenditure, but ideally we try and keep energy expenditure low while we're increasing their calorie input. So um, yeah, during a pre-prep or a prep phase, this is when we would generally increase increase NEAT uh, to elicit further fat loss. But yeah, I definitely advise clients to keep steps as low as they possibly can in their off season, just so that gives them a lot more flexibility and room to move when it does come to a prep. Because you, if you're in an off season and you're doing 16,000 steps per day, you've obviously got really, really high energy demands and that can make it really difficult when it comes to being in a prep when you only need to add on top of that. Yeah. Well, well, I imagine you probably have the the same approach pretty much similar yeah so no no really no not really having a main step goal someone's in an extended um build phase obviously that depends on the individual too because I do have some clients that like to keep in an element of cardio Mm. just because it's something that they enjoy so for example I do have clients that partake in other sports so they need to obviously still stay physically fit or um you know, they might be doing a sport that requires them to play a game X amount of times per week. So there might be cardio that is part of another physical activity or just from a level of enjoyment. And that's absolutely fine. And we cater Mm. for that when it comes to their nutritional needs as well. But outside of that, step goals are generally pretty loose, um, just as a means of maintaining general uh, daily activity. Some individuals I will try give a little bit more than others, depending on how sedentary they are, uh, of yeah. course. So if you've got an office job, it, it is nice to obviously still try to get out and move. And that might even be from the concept of just getting out and getting some fresh air and having that bit of time to yourself, get some vitamin D, because that's yeah. always good. And then when it comes to pre-prep and prep, uh, pre-prep phases obviously are at a shorter duration. So Um, I generally bring steps up straight away um, and it's very rare for me to implement a cardio session just because it's not really necessary for that window. Um, Mm -hmm. And I haven't really had to implement cardio in a pre-prep, not to say that's not going to be the case because, of course, if someone's intake is, you know, not as high as I would like it in a building phase. Um, It might be necessary, but um, it hasn't had to be as of yet. So generally a step goal and try to maintain it. So that way we can just kind of hold on to the protocol, keep it where it is, minimal changes, and then get in and out. Um, And then for prep, I use it as a tool at the back end. So um, definitely not something I prescribe right away. Um, and then I normally get buy-in from a client. So buy-in mm-hmm. is big for me. Um, so finding out what the client is um, better able to manage over a longer period of time. So if I'm going to adjust steps or nutrition or add in cardio, I want to know like what is going to be the best um, effective dose to result get the result I want and be manageable at the same time. So yeah. the client says to me, like, I'm really struggling to get in you know, my 12 to 14 K steps and um, I'm really hungry. I'm probably not going to increase steps. I might introduce a cardio session there and then it would be something that is moderate that I can obviously increase over time if necessary. So it might mm. be you know, adding in one or two sessions and obviously at a lower 
uh, duration. So that way it's, again, it's a tool that I can manipulate um, as necessary, but definitely not something I've had to implement for everyone. Um, But some individuals need it and some individuals request it because they actually enjoy it and they feel like they're able to uh, push themselves a little bit more because it's like similar mindset to maybe like a training session, for example. Yeah, of course. And in the end, I think that comes down to communication, having that open communication between coach and client to know what works for them. You know, if they find that their step goal is just impossible due to time constraints, then, you know, implementing cardio instead, that might be better suited to them. Whereas there might be other clients who are like, I would much rather be doing X amount of steps instead of committing to a cardio session, which is completely fine. So it's just finding that approach that works for that particular client and having that, that communication. Yeah. And not everyone can obviously tackle doing steps, dieting and cardio. So it's also understanding the person's personality. An example, I'll give myself an example. I'd rather lose food than do cardio. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm, oh, it depends what, t- what phase of prep I'm in, but at least when I'm doing cardio, that keeps me busy throughout the day so that I'm not too focused on food. But yeah. I mean, some people are not good responders when it comes to it. I'm definitely not one. Um yeah. So I get quite inflamed um, and like that might actually be another reason for implementing cardio. You want to keep a little bit of inflammation in your legs. Maybe legs are coming in too, too hard, too quick or something. Um, so there's always other considerations that maybe you're having a cardio prescription as well. But yeah, like everyone's slightly different and um, it's it's just a matter of like finding the best approach for you and also to preface, not every prep will be the same. So mm-hmm. you might have cardio in one and you might not need it in another either. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also acknowledging you're not always going to have a choice. Like it's, it's all true. good and well to be like, <laughs> I would much rather do this than do cardio, but sometimes you're just going to have to suck it up and do yeah. cardio. And that's just the reality <laughs> to get you from point A to point B. But yeah, like you said, every prep is going to be completely different. I know that I've had preps where I've been doing five 30 minute stepper sessions per week and have had preps where I've probably done you know one or two cardio sessions per week and it's been so much more manageable I think this ultimately comes down to your starting point as well so I know that when I've had a more productive off season and I am at a lower body fat percentage at the start of my prep I'm ultimately setting myself up for a much more successful prep and I don't generally have to dig as deep as if I were to you know prep when I've maybe not had the most productive off season, um, which I think definitely came with experience as well. I think in earlier preps when I first started my journey and maybe didn't have as much knowledge in terms of reverse dieting and maybe didn't have the most successful off season, those preps have definitely been far more challenging than if I were to treat my off season as I would a prep, which definitely just came, yeah, with experience and learning and knowing what works best for me and my body. Yeah, I agree. Okay, that brings us to our next question, which is how do you guys implement refeeds and or diet breaks in prep? So for me personally, I generally implement a diet uh, every eight to 10 weeks, but it really just depends on the client and how their body is responding. And I think it's important as well to realize that diet breaks aren't magic. And if anything, they really just help with the client's adherence to the plan. So I generally implement diet breaks just to ensure that clients are having that mental break from prep. And I think this is also why I prefer to have a longer prep with my clients so that they are able to have that time to implement diet breaks and refeeds throughout that journey. Because I ultimately think that that 
helps keep them going you know when you are finding it tough during prep and you're really digging deep and then you have those you know four to seven days in a diet break like that is that keeps you going (laughs) that's nothing re-energizes you more than some additional carbohydrates when you're in prep and I'm sure that you would agree (laughs) yeah so I guess um similar similar mindset in regards to diet breaks although even when you've got a long enough timeline and you've obviously accounted for maybe some additional weeks, so maybe maybe the goal is to implement two diet breaks over the course of your 20 to 30 week prep. Um, but you know, we're not quite there. Um, it's not to say that it's not something that we want to try to do. There's also sometimes times where you're planning for it, but it's just not feasible for you mm. to be able to have it. So um I try not to um, get my clients excited that they're always going to have a diet break because it's the same when it comes to refeeds as well. Like they're definitely strategies to obviously uh, bring calories up to uh, closer to predictive maintenance to help just reduce the amount of dieting fatigue. Um, and obviously um, that comes both psychological and physiological as well. So they're definitely strategies that I try to implement and generally for the most part, um, you know, refeeds are definitely widely used um, mm. and generally trying to keep that around consecutive training days. So that way, you know, it's, it's, it's used adequately um, and keeping those consistent is also an important thing um, to make sure that way, if you're having one to two days of refeeds through the week and it's consistent, that that also gives uh, you an understanding of how your body responds to more calories to, to assist with obviously knowing, okay, what kind of loading protocol might I potentially look at doing when it comes closer to. So I think keeping refeeds also on the same day and as well as like obviously your training sessions and center is really helpful. This is just a totally off topic note when it comes to refeeds. But um, I obviously have gone through preps myself and have had clients where they've been implemented and not implemented and obviously at different stages as well. So some people might require one like right off the get go um, mm-hmm. and others might not get them until, you know, eight weeks out, you know, when things start to become more challenging and it's used as a, like you said, a bit of a means of helping you mentally process that you still got to keep chipping away for several more weeks. So um, it might not necessarily be from the standpoint of, um, aiming to assist with uh, training performance or slow down rate of loss, it might actually be a psychological need for it just to help mm. you stay on track and know that, okay, I'm getting a refeed in a couple of days, I can get to there. And then, you know, that mental kind of like boost, it's almost like a placebo effect, like, oh, great, I have my refeed, I'm good now for a couple of days. Um, Because it it definitely does get like that. Um, But diet breaks will also vary too. Like I have implemented them very depending on whether the client can benefit with having longer, say a couple of weeks, or whether it's just like a, a, a shorter, like, few day period because of obviously timelines and and things like that as well so even then like still when a diet break I still aim to have the client most of the time just below predictive maintenance just so we're still in a minor deficit so we still don't have um, excess gain and we're still having some form of loss Um, but obviously that depends on the client too Mm. as well so 
Um, you know, if you're implementing a diet break to slow down rate of gain, of course, maybe that is, you know, more closer to maintenance or maybe in a yeah. slight surplus. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think if you are prescribing refeed calories that are slightly below the predicted maintenance as well, that's such a psychological boost for the client when they see that they have eaten more and weight has trended down. And I find that that really just like keeps them going and they're like, yeah, as soon as I revert back to a deficit, weight's going to keep trending down and it can be, yeah. I really, it probably is, yeah, just a placebo effect, but it definitely keeps you going <laughs> when you are are finding that you are struggling in prep mentally. Yeah, and I think it's good to try to keep those as similar food sources as well to what you're currently yes. eating because, um, you know, it's very easy to maybe look at going, oh, I've got extra food today and, like, try to add in all these things that you never mm. ate before. The refeed yeah. or a diet break is like there for a purpose and you generally have a prescription towards maybe increasing one or two or maybe slightly all of your macronutrient targets. And generally like you want to prioritize obviously carbohydrates. I tend to bring up fat slightly as well to sit with things like, uh, like, obviously trace fats or trace proteins as well. Um, But then also to allow you to maybe have some food sources that are essential, but you haven't been able to regularly have in your diet, Mm -hmm. but still we're like, pretty much keeping your meals the same, just increasing quantities or maybe adding in uh, some lower food volume options for carbohydrates to help get those in. So you really shouldn't be chopping and changing your meals uh, because that's obviously not going to be effective for the, the, like your 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 weight trends um, can obviously affect digestion and also it can create a bit of a negative outlook when it comes to those refeeds or diet breaks because you start to have hyperfixation on food. Yeah, of course. And I think that ultimately increases your hunger as well if you're kind of neglecting food volume just because calories are higher. Like I have had clients maybe um, be increased to maintenance and they find that they're so much hungrier in the deficit. And then upon talking to them, I realize that they're not structuring their meals as as well as they would if they're in a deficit. They're not having enough volume. They might not be having enough fiber. They're introducing a lot of calorie-dense foods that aren't exactly satiating. So no wonder you're feeling hungrier even though calories are higher. You still need to apply those same principles as you were in a deficit to make the most of your diet break. So just because calories are higher and you can fit in these certain foods doesn't mean that you should so I always advise clients to make sure that they're just increasing the volume of the meals that they're currently having and not straying too far from the plan because ultimately you don't want to be implementing a bunch of different things and creating more variables to why weight might be fluctuating or why you may be hungrier than normal and ultimately just making it a lot harder for yourself so even though it is exciting when those calories are (laughs) increased just try to be mindful of the fact that you are still in prep and you still want to make sure that you're making the most of those additional calories and not just kind of using it as a free-for-all just because calories are a lot higher which I'm sure that you know we've been guilty of that I know that I have been guilty of that in preps when I've received higher calories so maybe I've thought oh you know I might just have like a cheeky um (laughs) a cheeky ice cream in here because I have the calories for it but ultimately you know you need to make sure that you are maximizing food volume to stay full because those calories are temporary and you'll be back in the deficit before you know it (laughs) stay out of the frozen aisle unless it's going for frozen fruit and veg yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay so that brings us to our next question which is best ways to navigate the times when you're struggling to not overeat in prep what are your thoughts on this nicole um i think distraction is a great thing here um because 
if you are, let's say, for example, someone that is constantly thinking about your next meal and then um, maybe you're looking at what's around you and what is tempting towards maybe something in the house or where you might be and you're feeling like you don't have that element in control, distraction is probably the best tool. Um, and that could be as simple as, you know, if you're at home, getting out of home and going somewhere else where you're not in that environment. Um, I think other distraction tools can obviously be things like doing hobbies and extra things to occupy your time and kind of take away that element of um thinking about other things. So like I find that TV and, and things like that is not very good as a distraction because you can switch off so easily. But maybe if you were doing a puzzle or coloring or playing a game, you're obviously more fixed on that and you know time can pass very quickly. So they're kinds of things that I would recommend to maybe look at doing to help distract yourself or going out, going for a walk. You know, if you're really struggling, call someone, ask if you can catch up and, you know, go for a walk or, um, you know, are there other things that you can do in that time? If it's a weekend, I think sometimes implementing even things like higher steps can be good. I've done this in the past for clients because they find that when they're at home, they don't have that element of I've got all of these things to do because I've got work, I've got my training, mm. all those things. Or even on a rest day, you've got all that extra free time and they're the days that you struggle a little bit more. Having more things to do can obviously help with that and just help you get through um, where maybe you might be sitting there going, I'm really tempted. I yeah. want, you know, what's going and looking at the cupboard and being like, what's in there or yeah. those kinds of things, yeah. Yeah, I definitely think finding things to occupy your time and keep yourself busy and distracted is really helpful. I know that my most challenging prep was when I worked an office job and I found that I wasn't as busy throughout the day. I found that extremely challenging because I was so focused on food, whereas I've had more successful preps when I did start working as a personal trainer because I was constantly surrounded by people. I was constantly, um, you know, in a, like quite a positive environment. I was always busy. I was always on the go. So that left little time to be thinking of food. And I also think my biggest piece of advice would be just having a lot of structure in your day and having a lot of structure in terms of your meals. So even though I didn't follow a meal plan, I would always structure my week so that I was following a plan that I made for myself throughout that week. So that could change from week to week, but generally I kept my foods very similar. And I think that this just ultimately reduces food focus so that you you know exactly what you're going to eat each time and also not making your meals overly, overly palatable because when your meals are overly palatable, you're just going to want to eat more of it. And, you know, you reach that point in prep where an entire salad and something that is extremely high volume is not even scratching the surface. You'll, you'll eat that meal, you'll be licking your container clean and you feel like you haven't even eaten and you could eat again. So it is going to get difficult and it is going to get challenging. So I find that, yeah, the best thing is just to keep everything everything very simple, very basic, and just, um, yeah, have that structure with your meal timing. So making sure that you're eating at the same times each day, making sure that you're distributing your calories evenly throughout the day as well. And yeah, I found that when I struggled with food the most throughout prep is when I was trying to make every meal super exciting. When I was researching different ways to make 
foods lower calories so that I could eat more and um, you know seeing different calorie hacks and trying out new recipes I found that I was extremely food focused so the best thing that I did was just making sure to keep everything extremely simple and just focusing on the basics because yeah the more that you focus on food and trying to um, you know cheat the system I think the harder you make it for yourself so I think just acknowledging that you know it is going to be hard it's going to be extremely challenging you're going to be hungry at times but it's all part of the process and there's only so much that you can do to maximize food volume you've also just got to mentally prepare yourself for the fact that you know you are going to be hungry and you are going to be uncomfortable and you know that's okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think the more you try and resist it's like a Chinese finger trap the more you try to resist it the more caught up in it you get so just trying to just um you know acknowledge that release yourself from it and um you know accept the fact that that is just the reality of being in prep and that's something that you've signed up for but yeah I think also as well in this question I just wanted to address if you are struggling with overeating and you find that you're falling into habits of binge eating then I definitely wouldn't advise continuing on with a prep So I'm not sure if that's even relevant to this question, but I think if that is a factor, then ultimately pulling out a prep and working on your relationship with food should come first and foremost, because the stage is always going to be there. And if you're struggling to overeat on, you know, numerous occasions and you find that you're, you're unable to adhere, then that's definitely something that you need to work on prior to committing to a prep. Yeah. Something I didn't think of when you read out that question, because my automatic thought was, you know, this person is contemplating, um, mm. maybe acting. Um, I guess for context as well, does overeating mean that maybe you're, you're pushing the boundaries and maybe just going over your macros or adding in little bits and pieces to, you know, you know, it won't hurt that kind of scenario. Um, yeah. I can have maybe an extra um, you know, 10 grams of rice or like an extra mm. 100 grams of veg. It won't hurt that much. Like I'm really hungry today and trying to justify it. Yeah. Like that kind of mentality um, as well, because that's something that we definitely don't want because that obviously leads to further things mm. like you're mentioning as well. Yeah. Like it's it's probably a good thing to to talk to mm. approach and others um, yeah. to make sure that you're not leading into other tendencies. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, like you can justify anything. And mm. it's important to acknowledge that that's not a good thing no. either. So um, trying to catch yourself if you're having those sorts. So maybe even journaling um, is also a good thing for you if you are struggling with this sort of stuff to identify where those thoughts are coming from and whether there is something that is a bit more of a cause for alarm and, and maybe requires more work. Yeah, of course. And that has a compounding effect as well. So when you do overeat one week and say your weight still trends down, it's like, oh, I got away with it. Like my coach doesn't know, like it's fine. And then, you know, something that may be happening as a one-off then starts becoming, you know, a frequent thing. It starts becoming a daily thing. And that definitely adds up. It has a compounding effect. It's like a domino effect. And, you know, then that results in you overeating each day, damaging your relationship with food. And ultimately you can't, cheat results if you're not following the plan you're not going to be achieving the results that are required of you to step on stage and that's something that your coach is going to acknowledge and if you are 
not being honest and upfront about that as well, it results in changes being made to your calorie intake or increasing your energy expenditure, which actually aren't required and are going to be making it a lot harder for you to adhere in the first place. So I think that that's when um, it can be very damaging to a coaching client relationship when you don't have that honesty and you aren't making your coach aware of things that you're struggling with because ultimately they're just trying to get you to stage and they're making sure that their approach is catering to make that happen. So if they're making changes that aren't actually necessary, then it's going to be doing more harm than good. So if that's something that you are struggling with, do not be embarrassed. Like this is something that so many people go through and it's not something that your your um your coach is going to judge you for. So just making sure that you're making your coach aware of that because ultimately when you step on stage you want to make sure that you're bringing your absolute best and if you are struggling with your relationship with food throughout the process and you're not being adherent you're not going to be bringing your best and you're not going to be feeling your best either so don't feel like okay just because i've made it x amount of weeks and i've got x amount of weeks to go like i need to just keep pushing through because i want to make it to stage because the stage isn't going anywhere and your relationship with food is forever so you want to make sure that you're not damaging that in the process yeah you're only cheating yourself and at the end of the day, your coach can see through things. Absolutely. <laughs> it gets me. to a point where <laughs> things aren't making sense. And I think as well as a coach, you kind of beat yourself up when, you know, you're prescribing you these protocols do. and you're like, yeah. you know. Something's not working. Up. Like what's yeah, going on? Yeah. Yeah. What, what have I done wrong? And you're, you know, trying to pick pick your approach apart and see what's, you know, not going right. And and at the end of the day, it just comes down to the client isn't actually being honest and upfront with what they're going through, which, um, you know, they really need to be because as a coach, you're, you know, you're pulling out your hair trying to figure out what's going wrong um, when in reality they're just not being upfront. And that's definitely nothing to be embarrassed about. And it's definitely something I as a coach personally, like I would prefer to hear that mm. than be, picking myself apart as to what's what's going wrong and what improvements I could be making when it's the plan actually isn't being followed in the first yeah. place. Yeah. And, and look, to be on the other end of the spectrum and being on that coach hat, like it's not a, a nice conversation obviously to have. No, no. Um, like most times when someone says, hey, I need to have a chat, you know, we've already seen it coming for a while and we've been yeah. waiting for you to be ready to have that. Or maybe it's like gentle prodding to acknowledge, like, I think, you know, check check to see if there's anything happening or, you know, you're not really ticking mm. all your boxes. Um, and generally, you know, after just expressing that, okay, I've done something or I'm having difficulty, you know, there's that element of relief because yeah. you're no longer sitting with any guilt and it's not manifesting, you know, um, and it's generally like, you good? Like, yeah, we're good. Okay, cool. Let's like figure out what we can implement now to help, you know, manage the situation or what What do we do now? So mm -hmm. it's generally better for everyone Um to have those harder conversations it's not easy by any means no, but yeah. um, it's even as simple as just being able to say to your coach like I'm having thoughts of you know wanting to eat more um you know what do I do like you know yeah. they're to to give you that support and reassurance so you know questions are essential and I think it's something that some people just personality differences as well mm -hmm. they might not feel as comfortable um yeah. But you definitely, you definitely want to share that stuff. 
Yeah, of course. And like you said, it's preventative as well. If you are feeling like you are struggling and, you know, you are more inclined to want to overeat, address that with your coach. But obviously, yeah, if you have gone past that point and that's something that you're frequently doing as well, there's obviously a lot of shame around that, a lot of guilt. And I think a lot of clients also feel like they're disappointing their coach in that process. But I think at the end of the day, just reminding yourself that your coach wants to help you. Like they want nothing more than to help you. They don't want to see you struggle. Like if you are struggling, they want to help. So making sure that you are being honest and yeah, acknowledging that your coach isn't going to be disappointed or discouraged with you for being upfront and honest about things that you're going through. Like I would much rather a client let me know that than not be honest with me. Yeah. Yeah. And look, if you're being really, really irrational, look, hopefully your coach is going to be like, hey, you're being silly. in the best way possible of course but um I think there's definitely times in which sometimes hard conversations need to have hard answers but um I don't think that this this particular uh situation is 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 that sort of uh scenario but I think there's definitely a conversation that it should be had um and to be to be like obviously aware of the fact that you know you're not doing anything wrong um Mm. by sharing vulnerabilities and obviously like everyone is different and you will maybe struggle with things that you didn't think and that's also not something to be embarrassed about either yeah of course and yeah you can only hide something from your coach for too long like it's uh, for so long sorry it's gonna show up in the data and you know I have had clients throughout their preps where they have had a slip up and they've been up front with me right away, which is ultimately what I prefer so that we can address that straight away to ensure that it doesn't happen again. And they've still gone on to have a very successful prep. So it's definitely nothing to be embarrassed about. Nobody's perfect. You know, we, we're human. We have instances where we slip up, but just acknowledging that, addressing that with your coach and then working around that as best as possible. Obviously, it becomes an issue when it's something that's happening on a frequent basis. But um, yeah, I've had clients that have, you know, slipped up you know, once throughout their prep, they've acknowledged that, they've accepted that and they've moved on from that and then still had a successful prep from there. So, yeah, definitely something you just want to um, rip off the Band-Aid, let your coach know and just, yeah, recognise that, you know, you're human, these things happen and we can do our best to work around it. Yes. Okay, that brings us to our next question. I hope we answered that um, I feel like we went early on, enough. We, there was a bit of a tangent at the end. A tangent. I just wanted to make sure that we were interpreting the question correctly, but at least we've got both sides of it now. Okay. So it brings us to our next question. Just under 10 weeks out and struggling with bloating and being blocked up. Fiber is high, 28 to 30 grams daily. Nothing in diet has changed. Help for staying regular each day. What effect will this have on my prep, but also my digestive system? I feel like you would be good at answering this because I know that you've had so many struggles with your IBS. So what are your thoughts on this? I want to point out um, that's more so from a standpoint of like uh, fiber intake relative to obviously uh, caloric intake. Mm. 28 to 30 grams is definitely not high. In fact, it's probably pretty average. But of course, if your intake is, you know, sub 2000 calories, that ratio of fiber obviously the calories is higher so I guess it it does obviously depend on what that person's intake is and where those sources of fiber come from mm. if the ratio is uh, varied when it comes to soluble and insoluble and it's not like a kind of nice even balance there can obviously be some issues there if you don't digest also some particular fibers very well so we're having any synthetic fibers in the diet yeah. as well. So obviously that's like 
your sugar alcohols or um, things like um, uh, like xanthan gum, for example. Um, so, you know, the, that's a consideration. So obviously looking at that first and foremost is like where mm. you're getting your sources of fiber from, how you're distributing them through your meals through the course of the day. Like, are you having them kind of evenly or are you having like 15 grams of fiber in one meal? You're probably not going to digest that very well. No. Um, and what's your fluid intake as well? Um, because obviously you want to make sure if you're having a lot of one type of fiber, you're still actually able to have fluid as well um, to help, you know, pass um, your digestive content. So I think there's some con- nutritional considerations that need to be discussed there first before mm-hmm. looking at other things. Um, but definitely uh, your digestive system does have changes as you obviously diet and you get leaner. So first and foremost, as you get leaner, your body starts to become very adaptive when it comes to how how much it's trying to process the food that it gets. Because you know, you're not getting as much food as what you would have been eating mm. previously. So your body's going to try to metabolize and absorb as much nutrient as possible. So your gastric motility is slower because your yeah. body's trying to process that more. So it means that basically your food is sitting in your digestive tract for longer and there could maybe be some more disruption because maybe you're getting a bit more gas because uh, obviously you're trying to break down maybe uh, foods that you wouldn't normally do it at that same rate. Um, so, you know, that could be a, a, just a factor just naturally. And m- to be honest, most individuals will have changes to their digestive system in prep and how frequently they go to the bathroom, despite how much they eat, maybe they actually do have quite voluminous meals. It's not on on the same path kind of thing. You might only go to the bathroom maybe, you know, once a day or once every couple of days, depending on what your level of regularity was like previously. And that's pretty normal for there to be changes like that, um, just because mm-hmm. you're actually just trying to get more out of the food that you're consuming. So yeah. Um, so I just want to address that one first because that's something that um, y- you want to address first is like what, what's happening with, with nutritional sources and how you're distributing them first. Um, but also if you do have some irritable bowel or you do have some intolerances, you could become obviously more sensitive um, because you either have a restrictive diet, um, even if you don't have nutritional uh, deficiencies, not deficiencies, rather intolerances, you might become a bit more sensitive because you're just having Mm -hmm. repetition. Um, I find that some individuals, even without having intolerances, can perhaps be more sensitive at the back end of prep to certain foods um, that are like higher polyols um, and just sometimes just quantities of certain food sources and I think that's just a byproduct of the fact that you are one restrictive diet and also it's just staying in your digestive system for longer. So there's the potential for um, more disruption there. But I think if you're someone that has intolerances, making sure that there's nothing in your diet currently that is causing a trigger yeah, is important and making sure if you're on a meal plan that you communicate that to your coach if you can't digest something comfortably so they can find an alternative um, and then, you know, if that's something that you've never had to experience before, I think having a, a diary or writing down how you feel after your meals is good because mm. it helps you identify whether it's maybe the meal that you had uh, just then or whether it was, you know, the byproduct of all your meals the day before. Um, so even like meal timing can have a huge impact there as well. But the other one is obviously, you know, what's the probably the biggest one on top of all this is what's your stress like? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because like 
stress has a huge impact on obviously your digestion and whether you um, obviously have a regular like tendency to go to the bathroom at the same time today. So if you're changing, maybe when you wake up, when you go to bed, your body might not be waking up to that usual time that you go to the bathroom. If you're rushing out the door, like you might not have the time to, you know, relax, have a little bathroom mm. trip and during the day. So that could have an impact. You know, sleep is going to be huge as well. So there's a few questions there that are um obviously like partly nutritional and then also there could be impact from your environment as well. Yeah, I definitely think there are so many considerations to make when it comes to experiencing bloating and potentially not being as regular in the bathroom. Obviously, fiber is one of them, but it definitely sounds that you are within range, especially for your calorie intake. I definitely found that in prep, I did experience more bloating just due to the sheer volume of the food that I was eating. So I think it's really important to pinpoint whether this bloating is actually just due to food volume or if it's something that's making you experience discomfort and pain. So I think distinguishing between the two is really important because, you know, some degree of bloating is normal. Um, you know, you've just you're, eaten a meal. Like <laughs> if you've just eaten a meal, obviously you're going to feel a bit more bloated. It becomes an issue when you are experiencing discomfort and pain and potentially not going to the bathroom as frequently. So yeah, I think that also depends on your regular regularity in the bathroom as well. I know for me personally, I'm someone that is daily, but towards the end of my prep, obviously calories are a lot lower. And I found that that uh, frequency definitely changed. I wasn't going as regularly. I was still going, but obviously it gets to a point where your body is just, um, you know, conserving as much energy as possible and you're metabolizing that quite quickly. So yeah, that wasn't the need to go as frequently, but yeah, like you said, I think, um, addressing what your actual sources of fiber are. I know that it can be very misleading, especially if you don't have sufficient nutritional literacy as well. I know that when I first started my journey before I had an understanding of sugar alcohols, I just thought, oh, perfect. Like my fiber's on point, not recognizing that, you know, a lot of these sources of fiber came from sugar alcohols and these aren't fully absorbed by the body. So, um, you know, instead the small intestine bacteria ferment these carbs and they cause indigestion. So that can cause gas and it can cause discomfort. Um, sometimes it can cause diarrhea or constipation if consumed in excess. So that's definitely something to be mindful as well of. And in my fitness pal, you can actually check what your main sources of fiber are so that might be interesting to be able to review in case you are consuming sugar alcohols and that might be um, potentially causing you to experience a bit of bloating and discomfort i also think you know like you said addressing lifestyle factors so irregular eating habits being one i know that when i was working on the gym floor some mornings that meant i was up at 4 a.m so i was eating my breakfast at different times um, so i had different eating windows and that could sometimes disrupt my digestion depending on yeah, how my body responded that day. So just making sure you have quite um, structured meal timings throughout the day can really help to regulate that. Um, and then I would also just say, yeah, other factors that can contribute, like you said, really high stress is definitely something that you want to monitor. Also poor sleep hygiene too. If you're not sleeping well, that can definitely disrupt your digestion. So that's definitely something to be mindful of. And I know that towards the end of my prep, my sleep was quite disrupted just due to the fact that I was quite hungry. Sometimes I would struggle to fall asleep because of that, or I might wake up in the middle of the night. So that could be a contributing factor as well. Well, so I think there's so many 
yeah facets to this that you want to address not only in terms of nutrition but also lifestyle factors as well but I would definitely try to address nutrition first and then also assess lifestyle factors that may be contributing so that you can potentially make adjustments and see if there is any improvement um, another thing as well I found that a lot of people in prep consume a lot of carbonated drinks um, so that could potentially be playing a role um, you know guilty i am a fan of pepsi max a day so um that could be a contributing factor as well even just rushing your meals i find that you know when i was busy throughout prep i was kind of constantly eating on the go i was wolfing down my meals not actually um taking an opportunity to just sit eat without distraction and just um enjoy my meal because you know you're inhaling a lot of air when you are um wolfing down these meals and if you're also combining that with carbonated drinks like whether that be soft drink or energy drinks whatever it may be that could also be contributing to bloating as well so yeah I feel like this is obviously so broad because there are so many <laughs> factors that could be contributing to your bloating um even your menstrual cycle as well depending on um where you are at with that different periods of the month you might experience more um bloating I know that that can definitely affect my bathroom habits too so that could be a factor to consider as well but I would try and address yeah, both nutrition and lifestyle factors and try to make adjustments one at a time so you can see what is actually working and what's not. Um, I would try to avoid taking out too many triggers at once. Like I know that a lot of people think, oh, it must be dairy or it must be gluten. So they remove all dairy and gluten. But, um, you know, if you're taking away too many variables at once, it's going to make it a lot more challenging for you to actually determine what the root cause of this is. You might actually not need to take a thing out. It might actually be something like you're not actually including something in your diet. So yeah. you, you know, in prep, we're more likely to eat our carbohydrates from, like when we get very low, it's, it's generally like you're eating mostly vegetables, <laughs> sadly. Yeah. Uh, so like you might not be eating as many grains, nuts, seeds, legumes that could be having other sources of dietary fiber. So you might actually not be consuming something to help out with that balance and ratio mm. of, of your fiber. Um, so it might actually not be something that you're needing to take out. It might be something you need to add into your diet. Yeah as well um but i also think it's important to acknowledge that as you get leaner you're gonna obviously see more changes to your body and i think this is quite common where competitors experience you know well, not even experience um as in they often comment i'm really bloated today it's like you look mm. at them and they're like <laughs> shredded <not>. abs <laughs> um, but like you're more likely to maybe see that you've just consumed a meal because you have less fat around your yeah. abdominal area. And I think that's very normal is people to sense things more in their body mm -hmm. because you're leaner. Um, yeah. So it might be a bit more of a mental like I'm bloated and not mm -hmm. necessarily be you're actually bloated. Um, you might not be having like a irritable level of bloating you might be just yeah. bloating because you've just consumed something um mm. so that's also something to consider but i think it's very normal for competitors to have changes in their digestive health and i say digestive health just because of like regularity changes yeah. um compared to what you you did when you uh, had a different diet yeah yeah of course and i think 
being in prep as well you become so much more in tune with your body and hyper aware of how it responds to certain situations I think you know when you're compulsively body checking you just become more aware of you know I've just eaten a meal oh my gosh you know I look so much so much more bloated and uh, you know maybe you are being a bit more critical of yourself but yeah I think distinguishing between um, you know normal bloating from just having a meal versus actually experiencing um you know irritation and discomfort so yeah I know that I've had clients in the past where they're like oh my gosh I'm so bloated I'm like of course you are like you've just consumed this <laughs> massive meal you've had three liters of water like your meal probably weighs a kilo on its own <laughs> yeah of course so yeah I think just being mindful of that as well but I do definitely think that it's important throughout your prep to address what foods actually work well with your body because um, that's ultimately going to help you in peak week as well to make sure that you are avoiding foods that potentially cause any bloating or discomfort. Yeah. Okay, next question. So how to settle nerves before and on comp day? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Um, I'm probably the worst for this because I'm such an anxious person. So I am just so nervous. I think prior to to stepping on stage is more like nervous excitement mm. and then it's generally like right before I step on stage where I'm like holy shit like this is happening and that's when I'm feeling like extremely anxious about stepping on stage but I know that that just all goes away after my first division once I've stepped on stage that first time I get off stage I'm like oh okay I can do this like it's just that reassurance that you need and yeah, the atmosphere is just so electric that you just want to step on stage again and you're so excited and those nerves sort of disappear. But um, yeah, I think my biggest piece of advice, and I know that no one is going to follow this, but do not stalk every competitor that you will be up against on the day. And I know it's human nature to want to compare yourself and see how you measure up, but that is one surefire way to psych yourself out and, you know, knowing who's going to be there on the day changes absolutely nothing um if anything it's just going to be a detriment to your mindset because you're going to be so worried um about who you're up against and far more concerned with you know everyone else as opposed to you know all of the hard work that you've put in and the fact that you're doing this for yourself so i think trying to stay off social media prior to stepping on stage I think would be my biggest piece of advice just trying to be present as much as possible because it's such a whirlwind and I'm sure that you agree with that like the day is over so quickly so quick. it's so quick yeah. that, like your... that 24 hours like or 48 hours rather like the day before even it's, it's really quick yeah and you're prepping for 30 weeks sort of for this one moment so you want to make sure that you actually enjoy it but I think yeah some sort of nervous response is so normal because it's important to you like if it's something that you didn't value and that you weren't excited for there would be no nerves associated with it because you don't care I think nerves just show that you care that it's something that you're looking forward to and just trying to flip the script as well just knowing you know I've done the absolute best that I could throughout this prep I'm just gonna enjoy this process for what it is have fun and try and be present yeah would be my biggest piece of advice and just try not to get too caught up in it all yeah I go a little bit like I disappear I'm like MIA probably <laughs> the day before you're just ghost I'm like yeah um but that's because I am a bit more of an anxious person as well mm -hmm. um so I normally aim to get like a really early night's sleep so go mm -hmm. to bed really early and I'm, I'm talking like I probably go to bed around six o'clock at night because you're getting up pretty early the next day yeah. 
So okay, having a grandma. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look at the yeah, back of prep I was the last time going to bed around six o'clock at night. So <laughs> there you go. Um, the time portals are breakfast. So I exactly. Get I get it. Yeah, it's so. Um, but I think having um making sure you get good sleep is really helpful for you for obviously stress on on the day. So that's always been something that I've I've done. And then I generally um, have my phone on um, like do not disturb or um, whatever on show day. So that way I don't get notifications. Um, And that way I can just kind of focus on what I need to do. I have my own routine in the morning, which Mm -hmm. I obviously try to to do, which is like I get up, I take my photos, I go get a black coffee and then I start like getting ready, which is like for me, um has been in the past like doing my own makeup and then I would obviously head to the venue so that I've normally put on music that I like and I'm like in a really good mood so I find means of lifting myself up um and putting myself in a position where I feel the best possible um and that helps me with nerves um and being anxious the day of and like the day before but I think um obviously everyone's going to be very different and you know you might not have the the ability to switch off your phone because maybe you've got a lot of friends and family coming to watch and things like that so Mm. um you know maybe just letting others around you know that i'll see you like after the show in case you're worried about um showing up for everyone and keeping everyone appeased and happy that's coming to watch and support you i think you know, as much as you want to put on a show for others, it's important that you reflect on that this is for you and they're going to support you no matter what. And they yeah. no how, how you place, they're going to say you, you're the best on the day. They're going to, yeah. like, it's like it you should have won. Like putting that to side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it's so fine. Like they're going to love and appreciate everything that you did and um, just be wowed by you as soon as you step on stage regardless. But the other thing that competitors, I think, get really nervous and anxious about it's obviously like falling over on stage and I think this is something that every female competitor that has to wear heels freaks out about like what about the floor what if I slip what if I trip what if I like uh forget my routine the the best thing is it doesn't matter um Mm. because I've lost earrings I've uh stumbled on carpet I've forgotten a transition I've had my hair caught on my connectors. I've had all of these things happen and it's not resulted in a change of my placing because mm. you just keep your composure and you just keep going. And the judges know, like, if you had something happen, you made a little mistake, they're like, okay, that's fine. Um, you know, they're not looking at you and writing that down. They're like, oh, she slipped minus one point <laughs> or anything <laughs> like that. Her earring fell out. <laughs> She's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. How dare she? She's no longer polished. Yeah, I'm like I've literally had to pick up my earrings off the floor after after I've done my comparison. So if those things happen, it's okay. You're mm-hmm. human, and you see that at the elite level. You see it at the Olympia as well. Yeah. So people make mistakes, and it's okay. So if you're someone that is getting nervous and worrying about how you'll perform on stage based on something silly like that you're okay. You're so okay. (laughs) So you can almost take that aside and put it in the bin (laughs) and forget about it. But I I know that that's a big thought um, and can create quite a lot of anxiety and pressure, Mm. particularly like in the back when you're pumping up and being like, oh my God, I hope I don't fall over. I hope I remember my routine. And then that's where you start to lose that fun um, and enjoyment because you're focusing too much on, I need to do this. And then, you know, you don't actually show your best because you are focusing too much on that 
Yeah. And I also think having faith in yourself as well throughout the process. Like if you're in prep, you've no doubt been practicing your routine over and over and over again. So just having faith and confidence in yourself that you are going to be able to perform on the day. Um, you know, and if mistakes happen, they happen. Like ultimately it's just a learning experience. It's probably not going to affect your placing. Things happen that are beyond our control. And I think what really helps as well is going to a show prior to actually stepping on stage yourself because you can kind of see, you know, that everyone on stage, you know, they're nervous. Of course they are because a lot of people are stepping on stage for the first time and, um, you know, it's extremely daunting. You'll see people who are shaking on stage because they're nervous. Like that's so normal. Like, you know, you are going to experience anxiety before doing something for the first time. Even if you've done it a million times before, I know that, you know, I'd competed so many times before and each I time I stepped on stage, I still got nervous. Like you get nervous because it's important to you. Um, but yeah, another thing I want to touch on, which you said, is just about being inundated with messages on the day. I know that I've had preps where I've just spent a lot of the day just like responding to people because I'm so grateful for the support. Like it's always so nice to receive a kind message, but I definitely think like that can distract you throughout the day from being present. So what I do recommend is just not responding right away and then I generally would respond the following day when I'm like doing my cardio or something like that so that I'm you know making use of that time I can actually be present take the time out to thank everyone because you know it's so lovely when like people have watched your journey and they reach out to you and they're you know congratulating you or um you know complimenting you or something like that so it's really really nice but yeah just knowing that you don't have to be available 24 7 and that it's okay to just take the day for yourself um it doesn't mean that you don't appreciate those messages and just kind of responding in your own time and I'm sure people understand because you know you're busy and you're <laughs> you're competing <laughs> that day so I'm sure they're not expecting an immediate response um but yeah I definitely just choose to respond to those messages the following day just so I can give myself an opportunity to be present throughout the day uh, yeah. okay so that brings us to our next question uh should you do vacuums or wear a waist trainer during your build or prep phase or not at all what are your thoughts on this so I know this is very popular in IFBB federations. Yeah, really. It was definitely a lot more popular a few years ago. Uh, mm. I don't see it as much anymore. You, I feel like you see more women wearing weight um, weight training belts instead um, mm. than a waist trainer. But I have actually worn a waist trainer before and um, just to see what it was like. And I have to say that I did not feel my core engage at all. In mm. fact, I felt like it restricted my range of motion when it came to my lifts. So training in it wasn't really effective for a variety of things. Um, but also I actually had uh, changes to my digestive system. Like I felt like of course, like your organs are getting pushed around yeah. and a waist trainer. And I definitely noticed a change there and it took a while for um, my body to kind of go back to its northern, normal rhythm. And to be honest, like that, I didn't see any difference to my waist either because mm. um, like you're only wearing it for, you know, a couple of hours in the course of the day. Um, it's not, it's not actually enabling you to brace um, mm. if that's what you're wanting to use it for to connect with your abdominals. I think if you were looking at wearing it maybe to help you with maybe like things like posture and only wearing it for a small period of time in the day, that could obviously be very beneficial. Um, but if you're using it for something like to shrink your waist, there are more effective means of doing that. Um, and that of course is going to come down from 
you know, training aspect. So, you know, training considerations to build your physique to make you have the illusion of a greater taper if you don't have a small genetic waist. Um, and then, of course, like keeping your diet pretty consistent, so not blowing up really uh, in the off-season because um, obviously that has an impact if you're eating very excessively um, high caloric intake, high uh, volume meals consistently through through the year, uh, putting on a large amount of body fat, then of course, like your abdominal area is obviously going to expand. So it's of course going to have an impact on maybe whether you might be able to keep your, your abdominals and your waistline tight when you are dieting. And then of course, like when you're dieting as well, having considerations to more reasonable portion sizings and not over volumizing too, because, you know, it is very challenging to try to keep a waistline tight if you're not doing things to help it every, every day. Um, So I don't necessarily think it's essential. Um, I don't think that there's really any main reason why I would uh, prescribe one. I definitely having experienced one. I don't personally see any benefit for having it. If it came to a weight training belt, that's a different story um, because, yeah. of course, like you're using that hopefully for you to learn how to brace and use your your core and your internal abdominals to support your your spine, um, so assist in training performance. Um, and obviously, if you're using your your core more effectively, then hopefully you're also developing your abdominals better, and that's going to also help with your diaphragm as well. Um, but I do think that stomach vacuums are fantastic and definitely something that you should implement at all times, particularly if you are in a category that requires you to have a a nice tapered waist just to help you with one, more so learning how to breathe and lightly brace your abdominals so that way you're not having that really distended stomach on stage for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is something that you can pinpoint right away when you are actually watching a show is you'll see competitors breathing quite heavily and their abdominals are going in and out and they don't have that control of their breath. So I think the vacuums can be very, very helpful with this, not only to strengthen your TA, but also just to have more control of your abdominals on stage to make sure that you are maintaining a tight waist and that you can actually maintain that while being in control of your breath. And, um, yeah, I think that that definitely has helped me a lot as well and as well as a lot of my competitors just to be able to have that stability and control on the day when I am hitting my poses. Yeah, and we're not talking about sucking in excessively like a full stomach vacuum like you see in a classic physique competitor. Like we're not inverting our abdominals. It's really just to teach you how to actually tense and lightly brace yeah um, them so that way they're 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 firm tight um but you're not sucking in and seeing exposed ribs so there is definitely a limit to what uh, a bikini or a fitness competitor should be doing with their abdominals on stage because you don't want to see that rib flaring because it starts to then look like you are just skinny and you're not actually athletic because you lose the um the abdominal detailing but yeah. i think there's merit to doing these year round um yeah because of course it teaches you that control and it's easier for you to manage it when you're in prep. Um, It's something that obviously is not easy to do either. So the more that you do it, like the the better. And like you kind of need to do it when you have uh, a little bit more of an emptier tummy as well. So I can understand why competitors only start doing it when they get in prep because they're leaner and they can see it more visually. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's definitely merit to doing stomach vacuums in an off season. 
Yeah, and also just ensuring that you're performing them correctly. I know that when I first started doing them, I would just like suck in and hold my breath, which is not actually correct. <laughs> you want to focus <laughs> on the cue of actually drawing your belly button to your spine and you should actually be able to breathe throughout the movement, which is something that I just like found impossible because I was sucking in and then I would just finish the movement. I'd be like, oh, like I can finally <laughs> breathe. But when you can actually work on that control and be able to, you know, stabilize your breath throughout the movement and maintain that small waist, so that's going to help you immensely on stage. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that brings us to our next question which is my mum isn't supportive of my bodybuilding prep because she is concerned and thinks it's a waste of time and money. How can you explain to her why people do bodybuilding and that it's only unhealthy for a short period of time? Okay, firstly, I think it's valid and especially when a family member is obviously only having your best interests at heart and there might be some concerns. We also don't know what your prior history is like with exercise, with nutrition. So potentially there may be some cause for concern if you have had a history with disordered eating, for example. So I think we would definitely need more context in this situation. But I think also just acknowledging that your mum is probably just coming from a place of concern, of love, and of care for you. Um, not everyone is going to understand the sport of bodybuilding. It's, you know, definitely out of the norm. It's definitely becoming a lot more prevalent now. But I think that, you know, your mum not understanding it doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't compete. But I think just also making her aware of what a prep entails and your reason for why you're actually wanting to step on stage, what's actually compelling you to do this in the first place. You know, for some people it can be perceived as a waste of time and money and that's just because they have different values and that's not something that's important to them and that's completely fine. If something is important to you, you don't need to, um, you know, explain why that that is of value to you or why that's something that's important to you because at the end of the day it's your own time that you're investing and it's your own money you're investing you're not asking anything of anyone else so I think just having a chat with your mom um, just hearing her express her concerns and why she's worried about you doing this because I'm sure that it's coming from a place of love um, and obviously you know it is it is concerning because bodybuilding is an unhealthy sport it's definitely not sustainable so I think that her her concerns are definitely valid, but I think, yeah, just expressing why it's important to you, why you're wanting to do this, and then just, um, you know, not expecting her to be fully supportive and all for it. Like, it's okay for her to have her own reservations about you doing this, but at the end of the day, it's your life and you're an adult and you can make your own choices. And just, just express to her that you are, like, happy that she cares about you and that you understand that she's worried, but just trying to express why you're doing it in the first place and why it's so important to you as well yeah what would your advice be pretty you pretty much answered it um I think it's important to remember that family will only ever want your best interests um and like you said it doesn't always mean it's something that you want to do I think it's important to also remember that um, they're going to be viewing this from their perspective based on their experience so there might be a generational or a societal um, expectation of what is deemed as being like healthy. So mm -hmm. this is going to come from obviously, you know, what they think is healthy in regards to exercise and nutrition, and they might not be very literate on, on those things, but they, so, you know, what you're doing seems very extreme or very different, and they're going to compare it to what they do or what they think is normal or healthy. So you could very much try to get them into 
um, to, to getting more involved by really sharing and educating them on what you're doing and, and, and how and why, um, you know, getting them involved can be very helpful. But I think it's also important to acknowledge that, um, you know, they're going to view what you do as being strange um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not healthy. You might very much be making better choices when it comes to your diet and being physically active obviously has merit. Um, but, you know, in their eyes, it might be like you're not doing something very healthy. Um, so just being able to accept that their decisions and their their um, their opinions are obviously going to be different. And this might be a family member. It could be a friend. It could be a brother or sister. It could be anyone really. And that, like you said, it's okay. Um, they don't have to always agree. And it is your decision. Um, when it comes from, from a financial standpoint, I'm going to understand how a family member might be like, well, that's a waste of money because it's not the cost of a normal sport. If you were to compare mm. this to obviously uh, something else, it's definitely not the same level of cost with like fees, registrations. Like you, you definitely don't um, get a lot of gain out of it. In fact, you get basically no monetary gain. It's all yeah. like a cost. It's intrinsic, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So um, I can, can understand where a family member might think that that's a waste because maybe they want to get you to save your money or put it towards other things. Um, so again, like I think it's just, yeah, communicating your why and your reasonings as well. Um, but I think if you're able to accept that through the, out this period, you might not have their 100% support, but it doesn't mean that they're not going to support you at the end is good because you'd be surprised by how many people might not um, feel like you might not feel like you have that support because they don't have that understanding or they don't want to get involved. But then when they see you on stage or they come to your show or they see the afterwards and see what you've done, you know, that's where that support comes from. And then they can see that, um, you know, what you did. And then the next time you do it, it might be easier. But then it's also okay if someone still doesn't agree at, at, the, end, yeah. at the end of the day as well. So I think you can just try to do your best, uh, like you said, as to just get them to be more understanding, help educate them, um, and try to get them involved. But if they're not interested, you know, be okay with it. No, well. I completely agree with that. I don't think that you have to align on absolutely everything. People in your life aren't always going to do things that you agree with, but as long as you're not hurting anyone and, um, you know, doing choices based on the fact that they align with you and your values, then that's all that matters. All that you can really do in that situation is just explain your intentions for why you're wanting to do something and then just continue to show up for yourself. And over time, hopefully that's something that she comes around to when she sees the positive impact that it's having in your life. So our final question is, I went over calories, feeling like crap because I had chocolate, I had a Snickers bar and a brownie and was over my calories big time. For the past 16 weeks, I've been fully on track and last night I just blew out. I'm 10 weeks out. Tips for how to regain focus and avoid this happening again. I'm a first timer. What would your advice be? I feel like it's quite similar to the question that we mm -hmm. had before, so we will probably repeat a lot of what we said, but what would your advice be, Nicole? The first one is actually getting in touch with your coach as soon as possible because mm -hmm. if, if you haven't already talked about this, this needs to be talked about um, as soon as possible because the tendency to have an episode again is obviously going to be very high, particularly if you um, you know don't have the tools to obviously manage how to get out of that thought um, because this is something that you've never done before um, as a 
being a first-time competitor, you've never gone to this level of extreme. So you might not just have the skills and the tools to know how to manage uh, situations differently or stresses differently. Not to say that obviously like everyone has a binging episode. I don't mean it in that capacity. Mm-hmm. I just mean that you might you might not have ever pushed yourself to this level and this is just uh, more challenging for you to manage compared to something that you've experienced in the past. Um, so firstly, communication. So that's going to be the most effective because then from there you guys are going to be able to hopefully have a discussion as to what's the best protocol, you know, where you're currently at um, and whether it's feasible for you to continue on or whether um, it's like, okay, is this going to be a potential um, repetitive issue um, and do we need to pull out and maybe uh, work on our, our relationship with food? So it's definitely something that you want to communicate first maybe it's a means of creating some tools to help you manage some changes to diet some changes to strategies um some more mindfulness so there could be things that you could implement if you think that you're you and your coach think that you're able to continue on um but if it's also okay if it becomes a conversation where you think that okay this is probably not a good idea either and acknowledging that you need to spend some more time working on stuff because there's some things that you weren't aware of and they've kind of been um, brought to the surface now that you're in this position so um I think first and foremost is removing the instance of any potential triggers in the house as well so getting Mm -hmm. things out of the house that might uh create the need to to obviously want to consume something until you've obviously been able to figure out how you're going to manage or continue on. Um, you know, you know, so talking and, and getting rid of the trigger is probably the first step, um, I would say. Yeah, definitely. I think firstly, just taking a step back from the situation, acknowledging that it's happened and just working on your inner dialogue as well, because I feel like when situation, situations like these happen and they obviously don't align with the behaviours that you've been you know, implementing for the past 16 weeks and you probably hold yourself to a very high standard, you're probably extremely motivated, extremely disciplined, so this is out of character and it's something that you'll likely beat yourself up for and feel horrible about and it's probably something that can easily lead into you spiralling mentally, which is why it's so important to just, like you said, address this with your coach right away. Like you said, it's one slip up. You've been on track for the entirety of the 16 weeks. Have that conversation with your coach and try and pinpoint exactly why this happened. Like I feel like when it comes to overeating, there is always a trigger and obviously hunger being one of them because you have been in a prep for an extended period of time, but also it could be an emotional trigger. Maybe you had a horrible day at work. Maybe you had a relationship breakdown or some other instance happened that caused you to use food as a coping mechanism so I think first and foremost just reflecting on why that happened and addressing you know the root cause of what actually triggered you to overeat in the first instance having that conversation with your coach and just acknowledging a game plan moving forward for how you're going to approach this um you know one slip up it can happen. Um, it's definitely something that you want to be mindful of so that it's not something that repeats itself. So I think until you kind of have that conversation with your coach and communicate about that and reflect on why it actually happened in the first place, then you'll be able to actually move forward either with your prep or potentially decide to pull out and work towards a later show date. But I definitely wouldn't say that one instance means that you have to pull the pin on your prep, but it's obviously 
obviously just a cause for concern because it's something that you definitely don't want to get in the habit of and you definitely don't want to have a damaged relationship with food. So I think the fact that you've, you know, reached out to us is a great, a great first step because you've actually acknowledged that it's happened and I'm sure that you've communicated this with your coach as well. So I think moving forward, just trying not to beat yourself up for the fact that this has happened and, yeah, just be really hyper aware and vigilant moving forward for any signs that this may happen again because it's definitely something that you want to nip in the bud straight away it's definitely not something that you want to sorry it's definitely not something that you want to sweep under the rug because it is it is concerning and it's definitely not something that you want to take lightly no no not at all well said <laughs> Thanks, girl. I think that brings us to all of the questions that we have received and that we have time for. So we hope that you enjoyed this informative episode, obviously a lot more conversational than normal, but I really just want to give back to our TBA community as much as possible because I feel like we all share similar struggles throughout our journey. And, you know, Nicole and myself have both experienced many of these situations and so have our clients. So I think that this will be really beneficial for you all to listen to. And we'd really appreciate for future Q&As that you reach out with any troubles or concerns that you're having or any advice that you may need because we are always more than willing to help. And we hope that you enjoyed this episode. Until next week. Bye. See you later.